This trip report is made possible by the generous support of the Fernline Patreon subscribers. To learn how you can become a supporter on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash thefernline or go to thefernline.com and click on the support tab. It's 2 a.m. You're sitting around the campfire with your friends, enjoying a few laughs fueled by a dwindling supply of natty ice. For the last three days, you've been shut down by wind, rain, and snow. But that's okay, because the next best thing to actual climbing is sitting around and talking about it. Looks like it's time for another trip report. The Western Chugach. The mountains surrounding Anchorage and the Matsu Valley to the east are a veritable playground for hikers and climbers. Although the rock is predominantly poor in quality, these peaks are striking, sometimes rising 5,000 feet from the valley floor, with a variety of snow and ice lines penetrating their faces. Historically, these peaks have been scaled by mountaineers of all skill levels. But in recent years, skiers have started exploring some of the larger objectives, and one of the most sought-after lines is the North Kular on Mount Rumble. Resembling a lower elevation K2, Mount Rumble rises nearly 5,000 feet out of the headwaters of Peters Creek Valley, its symmetrical walls forming an almost perfect pyramid. The North Kular snakes its way up the mountain and is consistently 40 to 50 degrees for almost 4,500 feet. Suffice to say, it's an epic climbing or ski line, depending on conditions, of course. In April, local Anchorage skiers and endurance athletes Brian Harder and Lars Flora skied the line, but they did it in incredible style, making the 26-mile round trip with over 14,000 feet of elevation gain in 13 hours round trip. I recently caught up with Brian to hear about the experience, what he learned along the way, and some future objectives he might explore. We came up a pass between between Reina and Pleasant. There's a low point in the ridge that on FatMap or Google Earth looks like the most logical egress. Some people have gone through Bombardment Pass and it takes you quite a bit further up valley. And I didn't, I've never been through that. I know people ski tour through it pretty often, even on skinny skis, just doing the big loop down to Peters Creek. But I wanted something a little more direct. I knew that this day was going to be a beat down, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and I honestly questioned whether or not I had missed the opportunity due to an accumulation of birthdays. Um, I just wondered, do I still have it? Do I still have the desire to do this? But, you know, when you ski up, you, you already gain 5,000 feet before you even drop in. And I remember looking down, there's rumble, like, holy crap, look at that thing. You know, it's just a beautiful mountain. And I had a few, I had a, a photo, a kind of a summertime photo of the route in my phone. But it was, it's a great photo and it really allowed us to be sure where we were headed. Because the, you know, the route isn't super obvious if you're just guessing. There's some lines that dead end and things and, 
And that route to the lookers left of the mountain, you can't tell that it's contiguous initially. So, you know, I'm sitting at that pass getting ready to ski down. And all I remember was as I'm skiing, you know, good corn, it was easy ski down and it was a, a gravity ride all the way. I was like, wow, we are going downhill a long freaking way. And it just went on and on. And then you get to this, like the terminal moraine of whatever lived in that valley. And then you drop onto Peter's Creek proper, you know, and it's, it's flat for a couple hundred meters across. And it, I got this sense like, okay, we are on the dark side of the moon, right? You know, you, you feel really exposed there. And I saw a few tracks from like a week pr prior, some guys were skiing uh, in that area. There was a, you could see down valley towards Peking, there was a, a camp that had been broken and you could just tell up snow walls or whatever. And that, that gave me a little bit of emotional sort of relief. You know, I didn't feel so exposed, even though there was nobody in the valley. It still felt like it was a little bit more um, uh, approachable to some degree. It's weird how the signs of human passing can do that to you. But I still realize that if something goes wrong here, it's just me and ours, and uh, <laughs> you better keep your, your shit tight, you know? You know, people who who, you know, listen to this podcast out of state, uh, you know, who, who've never really, maybe they've never been to Alaska, you know, maybe they've never been to the Chugach, but I think a lot of people don't really understand the scale of just those mountains back in the Chugach, how big they are. Can you just talk a little bit about the scale? Because when you get down there in Peters Creek, I mean, like the mountain's huge. I mean, it's a, just a huge peak coming out of the valley. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you when you first come to Anchorage, for instance, like I did 10 years ago, you see the Front Range, you know, those are cool little peaks and they're fun to ski on. And I've had dozens of, not dozens, hundreds of great days on them. Um, but they're, you know, four or 5,000 foot peaks. And it isn't until you, you kind of look beyond from the tops of some of those summits and you look, you know, further to the north and, and a little bit to the, to the east and you go, whoa. <laughs> Those are like Himalayan style mountains. And, you know, how do you get back there? And, and it doesn't take very much. I mean, you have to, you have to skin a ways, you have to tour three, four, five miles back, but all of a sudden you're, you're in them. You know, there's no easy access. You can't just get out of the car and get to the top of one of these things. But all of a sudden the peaks are six and 7,000 feet and 7,500 feet. And that's, you know, not quite coming from sea level, but it, the starting point is low. And somebody in the Rockies might say, oh, it's a 7,000 foot peak. That's, that's like Boulder, Colorado or something, you know, it's like, mm -mm, no, it's different. Remember, we're at sea level here. Yeah. So that scale is, is massive. And that's what makes it so awesome back in there. Right. It's just, God. And the, and the lines are long. I mean, this, this thing is, this is a 4,000 foot ski line. I mean, where do you get that? Right, right. You don't get that in the Tetons. You don't get that in the Wasatch. You don't get that in the Rockies, I don't think. I mean, all of a sudden, like, whoa, it's a whole different deal. You get onto Peters Creek, the coverage is fat down there. There's a few alders sticking up and whatnot, but you're, you know, you're almost above tree line there. 
And it uh, doesn't take but one little bench of two or 300 feet, and then you're definitely in the full alpine. And so you, you just skin up a, a little steep step off of uh, the floor of Peters, which is pancake flat. And then, you know, there's some big sub peaks to your, to your right. And you're just, yeah, I don't know how long that took. Maybe probably less than 45 minutes just skinning up from Peters Creek. And then you get into a, like a high ascending contour towards the business, which is that massive north face of Rumble. And it, uh, and it looms. Oh, like it almost feels like it's overhanging you, you know? Yeah. Like you're in the shadow of this thing. And, um, you, yeah, you just, it's intimidating. You just know that you've already climbed, you know, 5,000 feet and you're about to start, <laughs> start the thing you came for, you know? I forget how far we were into it, three or four hours or something. Which and is pr uh, pretty damn fast, honestly. Yeah, we we made good time for sure. And um, it's funny, just a little side note on that. Lars Lars does not have a light setup, and he had uh, you know like Solomon shift bindings on a pretty big pair of uh, heavier skis. And I said, dude, <laughs> that's not going to cut it. You are going to be hating it. And so, and he had a just sort of junky pack as well that, you know, he's just patching it every few months and keeping it together. I said, let me loan you a pack and let me loan you a pair of skis. And so I, I loaned him a light setup. It was a really fat setup for what I would typically use, but it made him comfortable on a pair of skis that he's never skied on before. And a really light, you know, ski, ski mountaineering race binding, basically. And, uh, yeah, so he was, he was much happier, uh, as we approached what was going to be a, a real ass kicking, which is booting up that, that phase. The snow was okay. It wasn't powder. We, I was kind of thinking because there was some snow, earlier that week up high that we we're going to have soft conditions. And I knew some guys who had skied the malignant core just up Valley from there. And they had full on powder. It was like two weeks prior. And I was, I was pretty psyched, you know, and as we got on to the, 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 the base of that core proper, it got like a tabletop. It was hard. Mm. Which, and which is which is you know really quite dangerous uh even on you know you can't you can't fall on something like that nope nope and you know we we we, we skinned above the berg's run uh which was totally filled in and uh switched over to crampons and started you know front pointing basically <laughs> you know i mean it's insane i was you know, Lars hasn't done any ice climbing. Um, he's done some cramponing, but I was sort of teaching him about flat footing and French technique. And just because I knew, you know, we're going to be doing this for 4,000 feet and we're going to get blown out here. And uh, so I was giving him a few pointers here and there. And, um, you know, we, you go up that big open beginning, yeah. what, I don't know, 1,500 feet or something, or maybe it's even 2,000 feet. And then you get to that little elbow, that choke. 
I was aware of that quality of that face because the photograph that I have was, like I said, a little bit later season. Could have been summer. And you can see that the sun catches that upper part of the face. Yes. And it catches it right at the elbow. And even in April, it's getting sun effect. And the reason I know that is because the cramponing got really hard. I'm like, okay, this has got a melt freeze on it. And it's 45 degrees, I guess. And it just, I have a picture of Lars in that section. And yeah, it's just just front points. There's no boot penetration. Uh, he had an axe. I didn't bring an axe. And uh, we're just just cruising up. Damn, but dude. It's it sounded uh, yeah it was it was way different and I I was literally questioning whether I would ski it I was just I got I was just really nervous you know and um, it just felt so serious and no no you can't fall like you said and um, I thought I'm I might down climb this or I might turn around right here <laughs> yeah you know yeah I'm, I was seriously thinking that and I don't. I'm not one to back off. And yet I was thinking, you know what? I'm tired. This is scary. And then it was just like a few steps later, soft snow. I'm mm. like, oh, okay. This is all right. And we had soft snow from there to the summit. So that that changed the vibe completely. That rock band up higher yeah. was was filled in. I found two little ways through it that that allowed skis on. Um the second way I discovered on the way down, it was actually better than the way we climbed up. No dry skiing at all, no sidestepping over rocks or anything like that. So that was pretty sweet. So, uh, you know, the booting got harder, of course, because you're you're actually sinking in. And Lars and I just traded pulls uh, till we got to the top. Man, how'd that feel to be on the summit? I bet it was absolutely beautiful. Well, the, the, the summit is very abrupt, as you know, you know, you scramble, there's a, there's a few rocks that are uncovered in the last, you know, 20, 30 feet or whatever. And you just, boom, it's like stepping onto a table, right? You're just like, oh, we're at the top. And the, the summit ridge is flat for the most part. And the, the, the distraction that I had, however, is that there was this huge thundercloud sitting over Ram Valley and Reyna and, uh, you know, uh, the, those other peaks over there were completely obscure. And I was like, oh boy, <laughs> what the hell is this? It's supposed to be nice today. And we had, in fact, had heard some rumbling on the last sort of hour of our climbing. And I thought it was avalanches happening somewhere, but I think it was just thunder, which was really weird. So, it was like, okay, well, we're not going to enjoy too much up here. We better get down so we can actually see, you know, ski, see what we're skiing in case this turns into a whiteout, which, which it did after we got down. So we didn't waste much time, turned around, skied really lovely soft snow for the first 2,000 feet. And, and you know what? I, when I got to the scary stuff that I so dreaded, we were, we were kind of clicked in at that point and we just, you know, made one turn at a time. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. It was still no fall for sure, yeah. but I, I didn't feel nearly as terrified as I uh, thought I would be. Cause, cause like I said, we were switched on after skiing 2000 feet above it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that we should pause to just kind of re reiterate that, 
you know, you, you're, you're an expert skier. Like this is something you've been doing for your lifetime. You've got, you know, just, you know, hundreds, thousands of hours of experience doing this stuff. But this, this is not something that, that, that a mediocre skier should try. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's steep skiing is all conditions dependent. You yeah. know, there's, there's times when you're on 45 degrees snow and soft, if you fall, you know, just catch an edge and dump it, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it completely changes the whole emotional experience of it. But, you know, once it gets over 50 degrees, that changes something very significantly in your perception of, of risk and danger. And then as soon as it gets firm, it's a totally different ball game. And I think that's, that's where the risk really accelerates. You know, people who are okay skiers can ski soft snow and make sloppy hop turns and all that and, and really not put themselves in too much danger. But on something like this, where you really, you either find something you didn't expect or, or, you know, it just changes so fast. And that's, I think that's where people get, could get hurt. Yeah. Well, I think that the, you know, the other serious thing about this North Kular on Mount Rumble is, you know, we're not just talking about a section of 45 degrees. We're talking about thousands and thousands of feet of just sustained 45 degrees oh yeah and uh and and that's you know that's why it's a no fall zone there's that and then the the one thing is is the the snow got hard above the the little elbow the little dog leg and so if you if you blow it there you're you're not only not going to be able to stop um because you're going to be accelerating endlessly you're going to pinball into those walls down there and, and that will kill you before you reach the bottom. And that, that's the case in any, you know, so when you're, you're, you're sussing out these, these steep objectives, you know, you pay attention to, well, if, it, if the worst comes to worst, will I hit anything? <laughs> and you could, you could, in theory, slide all the way to the bottom of a, a very straight core and, and maybe, you know, certainly not die, but maybe not even break something if you're sliding just right. Yeah. But the fact that you guys did that without uh, an, an ice axe, you know, especially considering that the conditions for the few, few, first few thousand feet, it sounds like we're like very firm, hard, almost neve in spots. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the gear that you did have? <laughs> sure. So, yeah, you know, some I guess some more conservative alpinists would say, "Well, that was kind of irresponsible, Brian. Why didn't you have a why didn't you have a tool?" Um, yeah, maybe I just didn't consider the the potential for what we found. And you could say, "Well, that was an error in judgment." Frankly, I I didn't feel like I needed an axe. You know, when I have crampons on my feet, I feel very secure. But you could say, well, what if one of your crampons popped off? And that's happened to me. Well, then what are you going to do? Well, that's a good question. (laughs) You know, what are you going to do? How do you secure yourself so you can, you know, at least feel somewhat safe in putting your crampon back on? You know, Um, so so I didn't have a tool. Lars had a tool. Um, I had 84 underfoot, uh, very light. Uh, Swiss skis made by a company called Movement. 
And um, Lars had a pair of DPS 99s, so a big powder ski that happens to ski hard snow pretty good, actually, just due to its shape. And um, I had very light boots. I had uh, a Scarpa, uh, what's it called, a F1 LT. So nearly a race boot, not quite, but, you know, about a thousand grams. And Lars had a bigger boot, a Technica boot that was more substantial, definitely a, you know, four buckle kind of thing. Um, so he had light, light skis and bindings. We're using a plume uh, race, a 170 binding, which has some, a little bit of heel adjustability, but otherwise a very light, light setup. And my skis, yeah, they're under under a thousand grams. So cool. So from from the base of the Kular to the summit, and then skiing back down, how long did it take you guys? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I don't know the answer. I'm a little embarrassed to say. Well, I mean, you can just give a, a rough estimate. I'm just curious. Yeah, so may, maybe all told from the car to the top and down about nine hours, I think. Down and then all the way back to the car? Uh, we did. So round trip was 13 and a half hours. Yeah, that is but real, that's fast. I the mean. Sl the slog out of Peter's was demoralizing, right? So <laughs> the, it was awful, you know. Some people go out uh, via Peking, um, but I didn't. I just didn't want to lose any more elevation and then be under the under that gun of the the axe and there's there's a lot of stuff can get shed from the north face of that peak and I've been there when that's happening uh, and we have new snow just dumping on us and so we went out the way we came in and it was just a long skin of probably two hours or something like that back up to the pass. And then we made an interesting decision. Lars had never skied any of the North Face uh, lines on Reina. So from that pass, it was a quick like 20 minutes to the top of the North Face of Reina. And that allowed us to ski out falling water which has a, a better egress than Ram does. So we skied the wide North Face Kuar on Reina, um, which, is a, which is a super sweet prize in and of itself. But it was full wide out and it was powder. It was nice, but we could barely see where the hell we were going. And uh, I'd been up there a bunch of times, so I, I knew how to get out of there. And, and we made our way down. But it was super like ping pong ball skiing for a while. That, that valley seems to really hold the, the clouds and the fog. And it wasn't until we exited Falling Water where we could actually see where the heck we were. Brian, that is a ridiculously huge day. Oh, it was my, my biggest beatdown ever. 13 and a half hours, uh, 26 miles, and 14.8 thousand <laughs> vertical. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I was proud to see that 14,000 and change. Like, okay, that's what that felt like. Dude, that's, you know? like, that's like doing the Matt Peak Challenge almost twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
and, uh, and more miles, I guess. Oh my so. God. But we're on skis, right? You know, you're, you're sliding downhill a lot of it, so it's, it's not running that, downhill. That is just a ridiculously huge day. My God. Wow. So, so let's talk about a couple of other things. So, you know, you do a lot of trips. I mean, you're an incredibly active outdoorsman, skier, athlete. Where does that day kind of you know, measure up for you and like your career, like where does it, where does it stand for you as just kind of just all around experience? Yeah. So it's, it's one of those sole objectives, right? It's yeah. like, Oh, I really want to ski that line because you know, anybody who is anybody in sort of current Alaska ski mountaineering has skied that thing. Right. And whether they do it from a snow machine up Peters Creek or they do it in a day like a few of us have done or they camp, you know, it, regardless, that ski objective is worthy. How you do it you know, changes its quality significantly, of course. But in terms of a line, it's right up there in terms of risk, in terms of aesthetics. Um, yeah, yeah, it might, is it the best thing I've ever skied? It's top three for sure. You know, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> back in the day when I went back there, you know, I approached that mountain from Peter's Creek, hiked all the way in there. But, you know, when you kind of get up in there, I mean, that mountain just rises out up the valley, 5,000 feet, like a pyramid. It looks like K2. And this 5,000 foot gully, you just see it. It just goes right to the summit. I mean, it, it, it really is aesthetically a, a absolutely beautiful line. Even, a, even as a climb, it's a beautiful mm -hmm. Oh, line. I imagine when that snows hard all the way up, it'd yeah. be incredible. Yeah. Very, yeah. Like just classic alpinism. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, without giving away any, any secrets, uh, you know, what, what are, what are some other things that you would like to maybe do locally here in the Chugach? Well, you know, the, the malignant core, uh, for sure. That thing, you can see it from all over, uh, in that part of the, of the range. Is that coming and, off the, the kind of Northwest side of Benign? Yeah. That's that big sort of upper left bottom right slash and it has a little curve to it at the bottom it's really beautiful um and like i said i've looked at it for years and thought wow but it's so far back you know it's it's like rumble and then another another i don't know hour of the approach i think it's further than it looks as you you know as you turn on to rumble you can see it right there it's just sitting in front of you and of course from the top of rumble you look right at it but it it's another it's another uh, <laughs> a bit further and i don't i don't know if anybody's done it in a day i think most people have camped somewhere but i i, I can't say that for sure mm -hmm. have you thought about potentially skiing the shroud on bellicose Oh, yeah. That was the other one I was going to mention. So Sam Johnson and Ryan Hokinson have both done that. And uh, they did rumble as well. They snow machined in and uh, you know, made it a much more civilized <laughs> yeah. adventure. Yeah. They were there for the skiing. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, 
I, I don't think they had perfect conditions on Malignant, but it was pretty darn good. And their pictures are absolutely captivating. I was just like, oh my God, that looks like Chamonix, you know, just <laughs> like on the, on the Aguilar Ver or, or, or the court or whatever, you know, it's just incredible looking terrain. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a couple guys skied it, uh, uh, two weeks before we were there in powder, just wallowed up the thing <laughs> and then just ripped it. And they were both really good skiers. Eric Dahl and his partner, Ryan, I can't remember his last name, but they had a great day there. <clears throat> Very jealous. Any other, any other, uh, objectives? Yeah. Alpenglow. Oh yeah. Uh, right on the arm. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, one of Lars's objectives this year and he did it oh, and cool. had a, had a great time. You know, it's one of those, it's, it, it's still a, it's a very interesting approach. Obviously, you got to get across six mile. Um, you stare at it every time you drive south, and it's just you're like, oh, well, when am I going to ski that? And now I know somebody who has. <laughs> so maybe maybe next year we'll get lucky. And I think you know we're getting back to uh, the Peters Creek zone. I think I'm I'm probably going to drink the forbidden fruit and ride a snow machine in there at some point. To well, do it. Well, you know what? I, I think you've earned it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's a very subjective call. And uh, maybe we'll get some some thumbs down because I just said that out loud because I've I've been historically pretty uh, against that kind of approach. But I'm I'm more indoctrinated now into the Alaskan way. And uh, sometimes it, it seems appropriate. Let's just ride in there. So, so I might do that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with me today. I hope you enjoyed today's trip report, and I hope you got some inspiration out of Brian's climb and ski of Mount Rumble. Going to have another trip report coming out in a few weeks, so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. And then in the beginning of July, I'm going to release a more in-depth feature that I've been working on for the last couple months. So got some awesome stuff coming out here in the near future don't forget to leave a review for the podcast if you listen on apple podcasts or spotify and if you enjoy the fern line make sure and become a subscriber over on patreon you can also support me by picking up some of my original music or some merchandise on the fern line website all right take care of yourselves peace out catch you next time